John chapter 11. And this is on page 760. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and with a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for, the na for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Father, grant that uh, as we consider your word now here in this uh, part of the building and also in the Sunday school, that uh, you would uh, be informing us and transforming us by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. That's a verse from the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, it's a confronting verse, isn't it? Uh, it's confronting because it challenges us to do some, something which many people are not very accustomed to doing 
And that is to do some thinking about the big issues of life, uh, to think further ahead than next month's pay packet or uh, next year's planned trip or even next decade's uh, plans. Uh, to think, in a sense, uh, way beyond that, in fact, to think about the grave and to ask the question, then what? Now, that is a good question. Uh, that is an age-old question. That is a question which uh, thinking men and women have been asking uh, for as long as we know. After death, then what? Uh, there are different views floating around, aren't there? Atheists have been very vocal lately. Uh, they say that uh, after dead, uh, then what? Well, nothing. Uh, they say that... Uh, when you die, that your existence then comes to a complete, exist uh, a complete um, uh, end, that you are an annihilated, as it were, uh, that uh, you, like any other animal, if you are buried, that your remains simply then form uh, input into the recycling that happens in the ecosystem. Uh, there is no God, there is no soul, there is no afterlife, and so you know, live this life any way you want to, uh, live it to, the, to its full because uh, you might as well just eat, drink and be merry because this is all that there is. Now that's the atheist view of life after death. Uh, the various major religions of the world have come up with some theories about what happens to you after you die. Uh, for example, Buddhism and Hinduism, they teach reincarnation, the idea that uh, you have an eternal soul and uh, that your soul leaves your body after death and enters into another body and uh, the, um, whether or not the body that it enters into is a higher life form or a lower life form depends on your karma, depends on how you've lived in this life and it's sort of like a very uh, uh, ongoing cycle of reincarnation until eventually if you achieve a high enough karma that uh, you break free from that and join the great spirit in nirvana. Uh, that is the Hindu and Buddhist view of reincarnation and the problem with both of these views, the atheist view or the reincarnation view is how do you know that it's true? How can it be proven? How can people be so certain? After the grave, then what? Today as we look at John chapter 11 we see something of the unique answer that the Bible has to that age-old question. And if you uh, care to turn your Bibles open to uh, John chapter 11, we are introduced to a man by the name of Lazarus. Now, we know a few things about Lazarus. We know that he lived in a uh, village called Bethany, that uh, Bethany was two or three kilometres outside of Jerusalem. We know that Lazarus had a couple of sisters by the name of Martha and Mary, uh, we know also that uh, Lazarus was a man who was in a close personal friendship with Jesus. Now, at this point in John's Gospel, uh, you may recall from last week that Jesus has left Jerusalem because there are people there who want to stone him. He's left Jerusalem and he's travelled to that part of the Jordan River where John the Baptist had previously been baptising people. So he's a fair distance away from Jerusalem 
and uh, uh, of course from Bethany as well. But it is in that place that Lazarus's two sisters, Martha and Mary, sent a messenger with a message to Jesus. I want to pick this up uh, in verse 2. We're told this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So that is the situation. Jesus has been healing many people, hasn't he? He's been healing people who were strangers to him, uh, people who were deaf, people who were blind, people who were unable to walk. Uh, Jesus has been healing strangers, but now a close personal friend of Jesus needs his help. So the question is, what will Jesus do? Well, in verses 4 through to 6, he makes two promises. And uh, it's reasonable to assume that these promises are made to the messenger who had been sent by Mary. The first promise is that this sickness that Lazarus has will not end in death. That's the first promise. And the second promise is that the purpose, there is a purpose to this sickness and the purpose of the sickness is that God the Father and God the Son will be glorified. Two purposes. And now, uh, when Jesus says something like that, Remember when the blind, there was a guy that was born blind in chapter 9 and Jesus said that the reason this man was born blind was so that God's glory would be revealed through him? When Jesus says that the purpose of a sickness is that the glory of God and the glory of God the, God the Son uh, will now be made known, brace yourself because you know that something big is going to happen. So what does he do? Um, does Jesus miraculously heal uh, Lazarus from a distance like he did in chapter 4 with the um, son of the official? Well, no, he doesn't. Uh, does he rush to go to be by Lazarus's side? No, he doesn't. In verse 6, we read that Jesus did absolutely nothing for a full two days. Now, you've got to ask the question, Why? Well, when he did decide to leave, what did he tell his disciples? Have a look in verse 11, the second part of verse 11, where Jesus says, or after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to Bethany to wake him up. Now, you can, I mean, can you imagine the disciples sort of scratching their heads? I mean, they're thinking to themselves, well, to be perfectly honest, we actually don't want to go anywhere near Jerusalem. There's people there that want to stone Jesus and, you know, they might stone us. You know, let's not go to Jerusalem or anywhere near it if we can avoid it. But uh, secondly, if Lazarus is sick and he's having a good sleep, <laughs> why not just let him sleep so that he'll get better? And they actually say that. That's what they're thinking. But Lazarus wasn't just asleep. Because Jesus is God, Jesus knew exactly how Lazarus was doing. 
And Jesus knew that Lazarus had in fact passed away, that he, he was dead. Uh, we don't know exactly when Lazarus died. We know that there was a four-day interval between his death and when Jesus eventually uh, went to his tomb. But whether he died whilst the messengers were en route to see Jesus or whether he died during the two-day period, uh, we're not told. Uh, what we do know is that as far as Jesus is concerned, that death is equivalent to sleep. That's what he says, does he? And this is a big statement because what he's saying is that a man's death is not the end of his existence. Well, that's a big statement. How do we know that that is true? How can we be sure about that? Well, we can be sure because Jesus is about to prove it. Uh, in verses 17 to 32, Jesus arrives at Bethany, or just outside of Bethany. Martha comes out to greet him, and have a look at what Martha says to him in verse 21. How does she greet Jesus? Well, she says to him, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What about his sister Mary? Uh, what happened when Mary met Jesus in verse 32? When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The, the, the greeting from both sisters is identical. And what we see in that greeting is a, is a mixture, a, a mixture of faith and disappointment. Faith that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus. Disappointment that he didn't do it, that he wasn't there. Uh, Lazarus was already dead. Uh, he'd been wrapped in burial clothes. He had been placed in a tomb. Uh, they'd rolled a stone across the tomb to seal it. In verse 39, uh, he'd already been there for four days. I mean, this, his body was in decay. This man was seriously dead. He was dead. There's no doubt about that. And yet, as Martha speaks to Jesus, expressing her faith and her perhaps disappointment, as Martha speaks to Jesus, there is a kind of like a tiny hint at the very least that she hasn't lost all hope. Uh, in verse 21, when she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, she goes on to say, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, what is, what, what is Martha suggesting at this point? I mean, it's not even clear that Martha was sure what she was suggesting because uh, when Jesus replied to her with the promise that her brother would rise again, Martha is thinking that day in the future, uh, that day uh, when all people are raised from the dead and there is the day of judgment. You see in verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 
And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She got it right, didn't she? Everyone else was equivocating, weren't sure what, you know, what to make of it. She got it right. This woman got it right about Jesus. Now, in John's Gospel, as we've seen, there are these great I am statements, you know, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of life. I am before Abraham was. And here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, this is a most extraordinary claim because this is the claim that he has the power to reverse death. That is a huge claim. That is the claim of all time. That is an earth-shattering claim. But is it true? Well, in verse 38, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. He asks that the tomb be opened. Now, Mary at this point... Uh, <laughs> Again, you can't see, it's hard to know what she was thinking because she's, she expresses concern that she's, he's been in there for four days. There is going to be a stench. So she's concerned about that. But remember the two promises that Jesus made to the messenger sent by Lazarus' sister. Two claims. Firstly, this sickness will not end in death. And secondly, through this sickness, God the Father and God the Son would be glorified. And so in verse 41, he prays. And he prays out aloud and he thanks the Father for hearing his prayer. Now, what we're told there is that Jesus uh, said to the Father that he, he knows that the Father always hears his prayer but he wanted other people to hear him saying that to God so that they would believe. He wanted other people to know that he had asked the Father for what was about to happen so that when it happened, people would know something about the, uh, the glory of Jesus and the glory of the Father. Remember what Martha had said. She, she said, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus then called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, I think we need to stop and think about that and reflect on it a little bit because this is not something just to kind of gloss over. Uh, this is a man in his grave clothes being buried four days walking out alive. This is not some sort of medical resuscitation. This is the man was stone cold dead in decay and now he walks out of the tomb. I wonder, can you picture yourself being there at the time? How would you re how, what effect would that have on you if you saw that, if you were there? 
I mean, you know, the, the decay of his body has been reversed. The sickness has been reversed. The death has been... Lazarus is alive. How would you have reacted if you were there? Would you be shocked? Would you be overwhelmed with joy? Would you be frightened? Would you be all of the above? Hands up all of the above. I'm for all of the above myself personally. I, you know, there'll be such an, a mixture of emotions. And the other thing I thought about is that I, I'm not sure what would overwhelm me or frighten me or cause me more joy. Would it be Lazarus or would it be Jesus? Think about that. I mean, what do you make of Jesus? How do you handle a man who can command a corpse to come back to life. Well, it's interesting to think about how the people reacted. It, it split the Jews, split them. Uh, in, in verse 45, we're told that for, for many people, that, well, this was definitive. Uh, this was all that they put their faith in Jesus. It was, no, it was unquestionable as to who he was. But others, we're told, they trotted off to the Pharisees to dob him in, to tell the Pharisees what had happened. And so that's the story. And it comes back now to that, the age-old question, after death, then what? I want to raise three important issues from this passage. And the first issue is this. Uh, in this chapter, we, we actually saw some of the raw emotion of Jesus, didn't we? Um, several times, Jesus, uh, John tells us that Jesus was emotionally upset. Uh, in verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary and the other people weeping, uh, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled himself. Uh, in verse 35, which, by the way, is the shortest book in the uh, shortest verse in the Bible, uh, put simply, Jesus wept. Uh, in verse 38, Jesus was deeply moved. Now, if Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to be resurrected, why would he weep? Why would he be deeply moved? Why would he be emotionally upset if he knew what the outcome would be? thought of that question well I mean there's a one answer to it and I think it's implicit in verse 33 is that uh, Jesus Jesus's compassion for people that uh, when he saw uh, Martha and Mary and others uh, distressed that that had its impact on him uh, I conduct funerals regularly and uh, many times for people who I, I don't even know but there are occasions when I kind of find it difficult to hold in the emotions not because I'm distressed by the death but because of the compassion for other people you know, especially the children as you see them crying so maybe there's that I'm certain that there is that uh, aspect of Jesus' humanity uh, that we see expressed there it grieved Jesus to see their sorrow but I suspect that there's more to it than that uh, the Bible teaches us that ultimately the reason that all humans die is because of sin. 
Uh, in the Garden of Eden, Eve told the serpent that God had said that if they ate from the tree that was in the middle of the, of the garden, that they would die. And what did the serpent say? You will not surely die. He's a deceiver. And so they, they were tempted by Satan. They rebelled against God. They did the one thing which God had said, if you really want to live under my authority, don't do this. They said, well, no, we know better. They ate from the fruit of that tree. And what happened? First thing happened was that they died spiritually, that their relationship with God was, was fractured. And then later, they died physically. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says that because sin entered the world, so too did death enter the world. And the reason that all men die is because all men sin. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says that the wages of sin, the result of sin, is death. Now, as I say, I conduct funerals regularly. And I must say that there have been times when I've been at a funeral when I have felt a, a deep sense of offence at death itself, uh, where I felt that uh, what has happened, and it's the very thing that happens to every one of us, that it's wrong. As you see the uh, end of a person's life, as you see the, uh, the grief, uh, the relational issues that are involved in that and there is this sense sometimes when I feel that this is wrong that death itself is offensive and part of the reason for that or the reason for it is that because death is the inevitable outcome of something which is very offensive and that is humanity's rebellion against God at the heart of death is the issue of sin. And that is a fact which would not have escaped our Lord and Saviour Jesus, confronted by the death of his own friend. And then there is the issue of judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now that's the first big issue. It leads very naturally into the second important issue in this chapter and that is the response of the religious enemies of Jesus. Uh, in verses 45 through to 53, Jesus' enemies uh, pressed the panic button. Now, put yourself in their situation. Uh, they have just been told that this Jesus whom they despise in front of a crowd of people has just raised a dead man back to life what are they going to do about that they were worried they were terrified in verse 47 uh, in verse 47 then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin what are we accomplishing they asked here is this man performing many miraculous signs if we let him go on like this well everyone's going to believe in him and then the Romans will come and they're going to take away our place and our nation. Right? Now, they claim to be, what, what do they claim to be worried about? They claim to be worried about the Romans, don't they? Uh, more likely they're worried about the fact that they just hate Jesus and that Jesus is getting more popularity than them and uh, that their position is threatened. But 
here's what they're saying. They're saying that if everyone starts following Jesus, and it looks like that's happening, then the Romans are going to kind of think that there's some sort of a movement developing here, perhaps a, 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 movement, a movement of rebellion against Roman rule. And what they'll do is they'll send in the soldiers and they'll crush the rebellion and they'll wipe out all these people and it'll be terrible. Just like what happened in 70 AD a few decades later. That's what they're thinking. And so in verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. See, what's his plan? Kill Jesus. Kill Jesus and you'll save lots of people. I mean, Caiaphas had no idea about how true what he was saying was. Uh, we're told there in the, in the passage that he, he really had no idea that he was actually prophesying. He, God was speaking through him because, yeah, sure, you know, it was, it was his plan to, uh, to kill Jesus to save people. Well, guess what? It was God's plan as well to save them in a different way. But it was God's plan that Jesus should die because when Jesus went to the cross, he did so in order to reverse the effect of sin for us, for you and me, if we place our trust in him. Which leads to the final issue in the passage. Verse 25 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, I mean, this is a real issue, isn't it? And I, I think I can speak sort of candidly um, as we're a church family. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Thursday night, one of our own passed through the doorway of death. Uh, Mike. Uh, as I said earlier, Mike was a man who throughout his life trusted Jesus, loved Jesus, and he trusted that Jesus had already gone before him, that Jesus had already died, that Jesus had taken his place and borne the punishment for his sin, that he died for Mike. Now, when I visited Mike on Thursday afternoon, uh, a few hours before he died, uh, I knew that though his body would soon no longer function at all, that because of Jesus, that death was just a doorway, that uh, his spirit would continue uh, to live in fellowship with God in heaven forever without sin. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that on that day when Jesus returns, when that, on that day when the trumpet uh, resounds, that like all of us who trust in Christ, that Mike would be given a new body, a perfect body, a heavenly body, 
a resurrection body. And so it puts a completely different dimension on things. Uh, to be with a man a few hours before he's about to pass away, but to not grieve like those who have no hope, but to realise that this is just the body finishing. But the man himself continues forever. Now, I might add from, this passage, from these verses that this eternal life uh, is not just a future event. It's not just something that we enter into once we pass through the doorway of death. Uh, no, it actually starts now, that we enter into life that is true life, life that is eternal life, the day that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the day that we enter into relationship with God, that relationship that was broken by the fall in the Garden of Eden. That is the Christian hope. question, of course, is how do we know that it's true? How do we know that the atheists are wrong? How do we know that reincarnation and other religious theories about the afterlife are wrong? How can we know for sure that what Jesus says is true? Well, we can know for sure, can't we? Uh, Because we look to Lazarus. Because by raising Lazarus, Jesus has proven that he is the one who has power over death that he can reverse death. But more than that, think about the proposal that Caiaphas put to the Sanhedrin. What did he say? I wonder if you noticed the, the problem with his plan. Did you notice that there was a flaw in what Caiaphas was saying? He's saying... Jesus is doing incredible miraculous things like raising people from death. We better put a stop to that. How can we put a stop to that? Well, let's kill Jesus. Now, what's the logic there? Jesus has just raised a man from the dead. Why on earth would they think that they could keep Jesus himself dead? Indeed, he did not stay dead. They put him to death. They nailed him to a cross. But on the third day, what did he do? He broke free. He rose triumphant. He rose victorious from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, friends, is the ultimate proof that he is the resurrection, that he is the life, that he is the one in whom we must place our trust. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage from Scripture. Uh, We thank you for who Jesus is, that he is the resurrection and the life. We thank you that he proved that by raising Lazarus from the dead. We thank you, Father God, that in his own death that he has provided the pathway, the door by which we too can enter into that eternal life and that through his resurrection that we can be united with him in relationship with you forever and ever. May we place our trust in this and we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen.